Will you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5? And the guys have some Bibles here. And those are different new large print Bibles, right? So the ones we had before were the small type. These you can read. And they're marked at 1 Peter chapter 5. Now we'll look at verse 7 at the end of our time. I have a number of passages to which I'll allude that will be on the screen for you as part of our Mother's Day message. Our church has been blessed with a wide mix of people, of young and old, of married, singled, single, those who are settled into family life, those who have been recently married, those who've had Christian upbringing, those with no religious training, and on it goes. As we celebrate Mother's Day, that diversity is evident as well. We have young moms with young children, and older moms with older children. We have older moms with young children, and single moms, and married moms, and those from a Christian upbringing, and those with no biblical training. As they were growing up, it covers the full range. But with all of those differences in the demographics of our mothers, all of you ladies who have been blessed with these children, all of you have at least one thing in common. When you became a mom, you entered unchartered territory. Now, since motherhood has been around from the beginning, how can it really be said that you're entering truly unchartered territory? Well, while it is in fact true that for millennia mothers have reared children, no one has reared your child. And your child is absolutely unique. And each child has her own natural bent and tendencies and gifts and shortcomings. They each have differing intellectual and social and physical abilities. And you began to discover those while they were even in the womb, or if you've adopted. And I'm delighted to say that we have adoptive families in our church. Then you began seeing those unique qualities as soon as you brought her home. Motherhood goes all the way back to Eve, but no one until you has reared your child. And no one has reared your child in your situation. One of the things that uh, some of you have learned about your precious little one is his or her unique challenges. Even though you know each child is unique, you still had a, a model in your head about what normal was. Like many of you, Kim and I prepared very thoroughly for the birth of our first child. And we perhaps prepared even more than most because... We were both 32 at the time we were blessed with Laney 16 years ago. So we had lots of time to read and consult and talk to each other about what we would do and what we expected. And it didn't take me long to realize that for all our preparation, there were some things we weren't prepared for. I recall the first day we brought Laney home from the hospital. It was February and bitterly cold, so I warmed up the car in the parking lot for an hour. 
By the time she and Kim got in, it was a sauna. But you know, we can't take any chances that our little one might catch something. And we marveled at God's gift of life as we held her that day at home and we played with her and Kim fed her and friends visited and we laughed and we wept for joy all on that blessed day. And at about 10 that night, we were absolutely bushed, especially Kim. And so we put our little babe in her immaculately prepared room and crib. And the crib had the little bumpers so she wouldn't even have to, you know, roll very far or any of that stuff. And we placed her in there and we said goodnight and we shut the door and we headed to our room where we'd rest our grateful hearts until morning. Well, you know the punchline. <laughs> now, Kim just collapsed in the bed because she was really that exhausted. And I wasn't quite to our bedroom when I heard something. What is that? That sounds like a baby crying. It's probably our baby crying. And I go in, and sure enough, she's crying. And I pick her up, and I hold her, and I try to console her, but she's still crying. My first instinct is to give her to Kim. But she's zonked. So I take Lainey downstairs, and I ask her what's the matter, and she doesn't tell me. She just cries and cries and cries. <laughs> and I'm in our living room doing the baby dance, you know what I mean, the baby dance. I'm not very graceful at any kind of dancing, including the baby dance. I'm doing the baby dance, and I'm singing to her, and she cries more when I do that. I tried everything for hours to entertain her, to get her to stop crying. A few things would work, but only momentarily. And I'm thinking to myself, through all of that, what did they tell us to do about this? We've read everything. Maybe I should call Dr. Stevenson. It's about one in the morning at this point. Find out why this baby's constantly crying. I, he, he was glad to know I fore, forewent that idea. And instead, it was just a matter of endurance until we both finally zoned out in the wee hours of the morning. And over the next few weeks, I'd discover that this baby was high maintenance, high need, colicky, various other terms to describe a fussy baby. And we would take her for rides in the car in the middle of the night. We would put her in the car seat and place the car seat on the kitchen counter and run water from the faucet, hoping that that would soothe her and distract her. We would put the car seat on the clothes dryer and turn the dryer on to give that vibration and perhaps she'd fall asleep. And all of those would distract her momentarily and then it was back to the crying. And for all the trying and all the experimenting, we found that the baby wanted one thing for her mother. I recall getting a note of congratulations when I returned to work. It was from a guy I'd never met in the company. The company had put out one of those notes to everybody saying employee number 643 had a new arrival. And so this guy replied and he said he had two daughters that were five and three. But I remember something he said. He said, 
quote, they won't notice you much at first, but after a few years, you'll be the center of their world. Well, I don't know about the center of their world, but I did become more important to them after they were about two and three. We had Annie almost three years after Lainey, and it was pretty much the same. High maintenance, high need, colicky, fussy for about two years. So we had a good four-year run in which the entire time we had babies who did not sleep when we wanted them to. It was exhausting for me, but it was especially so for Kim. And I've told her many, many times how much I learned about the love of God by watching her love and care and compassion and sacrifice and tenderness for our girls. Believe it or not, she was criticized by well-meaning people, but criticized because she was babying them. But she knew what our girls needed, and she did her best to provide it. Now, some of you have had what are called good babies, which I'm told means they sleep through the night. But others of you can relate to what I'm talking about, and many of you, many of you have much larger challenges than simply sleep patterns. I think of the several little ones in our church family who've had physical ailments from early on. Some hospitalized with with major surgery. Others undergoing test after test after test, still not being able to find out what's going on. We have some in our church family who have little ones who have eating disorders. They just don't know what they can feed them and what's going on. Various forms and degrees of autism. On it goes. And all of those situations and many more exist in our church and others as well, I'm sure. But I've observed as constant among the mothers of our church this one thing. You love those children with your very life. And you care for and you nurture them and you work with them. And you may want to pull your hair out, sometimes literally so. You feel a deep, deep sense of empathy with the struggles of your little one. And there's a very good reason, ladies, that you feel that way. It's a gift from God. It is a gift from Almighty God that He made women to feel toward others and especially toward their children the way that they do. The first chapter of the Bible tells us God created man In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're made as humanity in the image of God, which as you all know means that we were designed to reflect God back to God. And we reflect both as males made in his image and females made in his image. But as the differences that exist between male and female... There are certain characteristics of God that will be more vividly displayed in women than in men and vice versa. Women tend to display God's tenderness and compassion more clearly than men. You have passages like this said of the Lord God in Isaiah 66. This is what the Lord said. It says, as a mother comforts her child, 
so I will comfort you. Jesus said on one occasion, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. This is the heart of our God. And part of reflecting accurately this God includes reflecting back to Him His tenderness and His compassion. And ladies tend to do that more clearly than do we men. That God-given maternal instinct is a blessing to your children. You see, ladies, the more intense your feelings, the more intense the real joy that you experience as you exercise that God-given gift. But there's a flip side to that as well. You're made with this intensity of feeling to vividly display the tenderness and the compassion and the empathy of our God. And that causes you to feel these joys very acutely, but it also intensifies any pain that goes with motherhood. You see, there can be pain in motherhood. Literally, as we're going to be reminded, in the process of giving birth, but also emotionally as you realize that all you've done and all that you've sacrificed is not always reciprocated. And I want to talk then, in our time together, I want to talk to our ladies about the challenge of your very real emotional investment in those you love as a gift of God. And I want to do that for the sake of those who are feeling pain right now on Mother's Day. But also for the sake of those who are in the process of raising your children. And we don't know how this process is yet going to turn out in order to prepare you for the possibility that you will experience pain as well. Now, I'm not predicting that, but I'm simply preparing for that. Proverbs 22.6 says, If you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. But as you have heard me say in our class on how to get the most out of your Bible and interpret the Bible properly. You have to take into account what kind of book you're dealing with, and Proverbs 22.6 is in Proverbs. And it's a proverb, and Proverbs are, by their very nature, general truths. That is, they are not, they're not designed to be legal guarantees. And so it is possible that you can train up a child in the way he should go, and he will depart from it. It happens. It's not a contradiction to Scripture. Generally, it is true that if we raise them right, they will turn out right, but not always. And so, for those who are in pain, I want to talk about that a bit. And for those who are rearing, those of us that are rearing our children, to prepare you as well. And I say in the outline, if you look in the back of your program, I say there, the greater the love, the deeper the hurt. The greater the love, the deeper the hurt. Now, I'm speaking here when I say the greater the love. I'm speaking of the emotional aspect of love. The greater the emotion, the greater the emotional commitment, investment 
then the greater hurt that potentially will be realized if things don't go as they should. Do you see this kind of of emotional hurt in the Lord Jesus? You all remember the shortest verse in the Bible is John 11.35, two words, Jesus wept. And he wept at hearing the news that his good friend Lazarus had died. And those who saw him weep said this. The Bible says Jesus wept and those with him said, see how he loved him. See how Jesus loved him. See the intensity of feeling and emotion that Jesus had for his friend as evidenced by his weeping at the announcement that he had died. Now, we have taught here, and rightly, that contrary to what our culture teaches, love is not first emotion. In our culture, love is, is not only first emotion, it's completely emotion. And so you can fall into it, and you can fall out of it, and all of that. The Bible does not teach that. But I've chosen my words carefully as I teach that love is primarily a choice that we make. And the reason I add the word primar- use the word primarily is because it is not only choice, it's not only an act of a will, though primarily so, it involves emotion as well. In fact, the Bible teaches that you can make the right choices, you can even make sacrificial choices, and that's not the same thing as love. Did you know that? In the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, be reminded of what the Bible says. If I give all I possess to the poor... And I surrender my body to the flames. But I have not love, I gain nothing. Notice, I give everything I have, I sacrifice, I make a choice to do this, but it's still possible for that not to be love. So love involves first, primarily indeed, a choice in the best interest of others, but also an affection for those others as well. The physical pain of childbirth foreshadows the emotional pain that a mother will experience through the lives of her children. The process of carrying and giving birth to a child creates what should be an unbreakable bond between mother and child. You all remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, as God was giving consequences for the fall into sin, And to the woman, verse 16 says, to the woman he said, now in pain you will bring forth, you will bring forth children. And so that pain involves the gestation period and the sickness and the kicking and all of that, but of course, primarily the delivery. But there's this bonding, physical bonding with that child now and that mother. Having gone through that pain, there is a rightful expectation of gratitude on the part of of the child. Often that gratitude is given. Often that gratitude is lived out. Not always. And when it's not, there is deep and severe pain. Or perhaps it's not something that your child did, but something that is done to your child that produces pain in the heart of this mother that is bonded, bonded to her child. Do you all remember in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Luke, 
As the angels are announcing the career of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah has come. And then she is, it is prophesied of her in Luke chapter 2, the mother of Jesus, Mary. The Bible says this, a sword will pierce your soul. Mary bore Jesus in her body, gave birth to this child, and she was going to see her child brutalized and murdered. And it's as if a sword is going through her very heart. Her maternal instincts of all mothers are to protect and nourish and tenderly care for the needs of your child. And ladies, these are natural God-given affections that reflect a portion of the character of God. They are good and they should be encouraged and not suppressed. And just as an aside then, this is why. I've never been real big on child-rearing methods and there are a lot of them out there. And everybody debates which ones are the best and all of that. But I've never been real big on those that call on moms to hold down their motherly instincts when her child needs her. I know there are all sorts of opinions about early childhood care and development. New mothers have heard all of the advice in the world and everyone's an expert. But the truth is each set of parents has to decide what method they're going to use. But I do want to say this. Contrary to what some advocates claim, it is not at all clear that denying or suppressing the maternal instinct is, in their words, God's way. Now, you may have no idea what I'm talking about. And if so, it's just another Sunday. You may have no idea what I'm talking about. And if so, don't worry about it. If you do and you have any questions about that, let me know. I'd be glad to talk to you about it. But this maternal instinct is a God-given gift, and it is my considered view that it should not be suppressed. But for now, suffice it to say this. Women and mothers have particular strengths which generally men do not have. That nurturing and caring and compassionate instinct is therefore good and it should be encouraged. But it also means, ladies, as I've said, that you're more vulnerable to a deeper sense of hurt and betrayal. And that's why the book of Proverbs says that a wayward child is a shame and then says is a shame to his mother. It's a shame to his father as well. But the mother feels it in a particularly intense way. I've seen it in my wife. I see it in my girls. My girls have this empathy that I just don't have. They can, it's almost literally, they can feel the pain of other people. And it's a God-given gift. And I saw it as well in the life of my own mother. My mom was hurt deeply in her life, deeply. And you, some of you know her, some of you were at the funeral service. You know how much she gave and gave and gave. Very often, very often, that was not reciprocated to her. And I remember her crying and crying and crying over the hurt that she experienced by not having that gratitude that should have been her reward given to her. It hurt her deeply if we, her sons, were going in a direction contrary to what she taught us. 
And as much as I tried to console my mom, and I did, I spent many hours trying to do that. The truth of the matter is we men often simply cannot understand the depth of feeling that a mother has for her children. And sometimes I would just say, Mom, look, you know, he or they have decided to do what they're going to do. We're going to have to move on. I'm just giving her a whole logical sequence. I'm right about all this. It's all completely rational. And she is hurt deeply. As a result of that fact, that this nurturing instinct can mean very deep hurt sometimes then, some just say, I'm going to give up on this love thing altogether in order to avoid the hurt. It's too painful, so why risk it again? But of course, that's not God's solution. We'll see God's solution in a bit. Sometimes this pain, and I have to be honest here, I won't spend a lot of time here, but we must be honest. Sometimes the pain is at least to some extent self-inflicted. And we, as sinners before our gracious God, have to be honest about that. That's true of fathers, that's true of mothers, that's true of all of us. And so, ladies, if you have seen in what you are doing, what you have done, things in which you have failed in the task that God has called you to, perhaps sinned against your children by not supplying the things that they needed, by not being there, for instance, when they needed you. It's in the past, and you can place it in the past, but we must call that what it is. We must confess self-inflicted wounds. But often those wounds are other inflicted wounds. And here's what we have to do. Many of you have heard me say over the years that this tool has been helpful to me. Perhaps it would be helpful to you. But there's a difference between the circle of influence that God has given us and the circle of responsibility that God has given us. And you must in your mind make the distinction between the two. God has given me a circle of influence or a, perhaps better, a circle of concern. Many things and many people about which I am legitimately concerned. That's a large circle. But then there's a smaller circle within that that is my circle of responsibility. I am not responsible for all that I'm concerned about. And the truth of the matter is, I'm concerned, of course, at the highest level about what happens with my children. And I have my responsibility as far as it goes. But ultimately, it's God's responsibility that, as we will see at the end of our time, we cast upon Him. The greater the love, the deeper the hurt. Secondly, in your outline, the greater the goal, the deeper the disappointment. So we have these children, the greater the goal, the deeper the disappointment. We have these God-given gifts, these children. We see their abilities. And as we see their abilities, we also see the many possibilities, and we dream. And we share that dream with our spouse, if we have one. We share that dream with our children. We encourage them to use those abilities in a Godward direction. We try to prepare them for all of that. We have good and godly goals for them. The greater the goal, the deeper the disappointment if it's not realized. And so what some do is they, they give up on the goals, just like some give up on love to avoid the hurt. Some just say, well, then why have goals? 
because I don't want that disappointment. But that's the wrong answer as well. Listen, the answer is not to forego a dream and goals for our children. It is this. The answer is to hold those dreams with a very loose grip. I know one, I know one author, family counselor, who says he prays before God with his palms open. Just as a reminder that the things I'm asking you for, Lord, I hold with a loose grip. They're not my idols. And they are up to you to use and to materialize as you in your wisdom see fit. And so we have these goals. And if we're not careful, we can clinch our our fists around those goals and hold them tightly such that they can even become idolatrous to us. And the, the greater the goal, the deeper that disappointment can be if it's not realized. And then it causes people to react in a number of ways. As I said, some give up on goals altogether. Some compensate. There are lots of families and lots of parents, and particularly moms, but dads as well, who are in a phase of compensation for their children. You all know what I mean by that? They're trying to compensate for some disappointment. It's not turning out the way I had dreamed that it would. Perhaps it's because there's some difficulty that the child has encountered through, through no fault of their own. And I'm disappointed deeply for them. I'm deep, disappointed deeply for myself. And so I compensate. I buy them things. I excuse then their other behavior because things have not gone as I think they ought. My dear mom used to have a little bit of compensation herself with this. With all that hurt that she experienced, she would latch on. I noticed that she would latch on to any ray of hope that she would see in the lives of her children. She loved telling people, my son's a minister. I can't tell you how many times she would... People I've never met, she would just say, Kenny, come over here. My son's a minister. You know? Hey. You want me to preach for you? <laughs> you all remember this formula that I've given you a number of times? Expectations minus reality equals trouble. There are expectations, and then there's the reality of life. And almost without exception, there's a gap in a fallen world, either because of something we've done or something that others have done or something that's been done to us. There's always a gap. And the answer is not to then get rid of the expectations, but it is to see those realistically, to have a God-centered perspective on those expectations. Hold them with a loose grip. The greater the goal, the deeper the disappointment. Thirdly, the greater the regret, the deeper the damage. The greater the regret, the deeper the damage. Now, when I say greater here, I'm talking about the nature of the regret may be great. It may be significant. It may be large. 
As I had said earlier, it might be something like I wasn't there for my kids and I, I regret that. I pursued my own interests and I know that now and I regret that. So it may be great in that sense. It's something large and significant and it's had important consequences. Or it may be greater in this sense. That it may be something that you wish you had done differently, but it's not something so large as I wasn't there for the kids or any of that. It's just if I had it to do over, I'd do something else. But it's great in the sense that you have held on to it for a long period of time. And so it's a great regret in that it's a relatively small thing that you have allowed to fester over a long period of time. And as a result, the damage is deep. Damage to who? Well, damage to others, one. Because as you mull that over, because as you descend perhaps into despondency and depression about what could have been and what should have been. You're not all that you could or should be to others that God has in your circle of influence. But it's not just damage to others, it's damage to yourself as well. The Bible teaches, does it not? If we don't deal with things, if we allow them to fester... It can develop what the Bible calls a root of bitterness. It can cause us even physical maladies if we don't deal with issues. Psalm 32, David says, when I failed to deal with the issues in my own life, here's what he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And so as we deal, ladies, with whatever regret, whether it's over a small thing that we've allowed to fester over a long period of time, whether it's for large things that clearly we have done wrong and in which we have sinned, we may need to confess this. We may need to confess unbelief and unbelief in two ways. Confess unbelief in the forgiveness of God. You see, you don't keep confessing and confessing this thing over and over again. How many times does the Bible instruct you to confess? And how quickly will our God forgive? And to not then abide in the trust of that forgiveness is a matter of not believing the promise of God. I will forgive you if you confess. So we may need to confess unbelief. Unbelief in God's forgiveness, but secondly, Unbelief in God's goodness. And what I mean by that is this. A good God can repair what we have broken. A good God can repair what others have broken. And I must trust in the goodness and the wisdom of this God when now this has moved outside of my circle of responsibility, and into simply my circle of concern. Ultimately, what we must do is what I have for you on your outline. The three points at the bottom. We must give all of this, the hurt and the disappointment and the regret, we must give all of this to Jesus. Now, how do we do that? I just remind you quickly, with regard to this great love that mothers have for their children, remember this, that Jesus loves 
your children infinitely more than we do. You think, ladies, about the pain that you have felt or are feeling. You think about how intense that is because you've been made this way, designed this way by God. And then think about the fact that the love of God is infinitely greater than any love we fallen humans could ever have for anyone. His love is infinitely more than what we have. He loves that child. He loves that wayward child. He loves that struggling child. And as you give it all to Jesus then, you're confessing again that you believe this. You're professing that you believe this. That the one who came to earth and gave his very life on the cross has demonstrated a depth of love in which I can entrust whatever loved ones he has brought into my circle. And so we saw a couple of weeks ago from Ephesians chapter 3 how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Give it to Jesus who loves them more than you. Secondly, remember that Jesus empathizes completely with all of our struggles. He empathizes completely. Doesn't the Bible tell us that? We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are and yet was without sin. And so you have those disappointments because you had these goals. And they may have been great goals, but they've not been, been realized. Jesus, Jesus knows firsthand the disappointment of people not going the way that He has designed, of the very people that He has sacrificed for turning on Him. He knows that pain. He empathizes with that. I've told you in the past that word empathizes is kind of like having two pianos in the same room. And those that tune pianos tell me that if you hit a key on one, that there'll be a vibration on that same key on the other across the room. Jesus feels it. I said, my daughters feel it. My wife can feel the pain of other people. Jesus can empathize. He feels it. He knows it. He's experienced it. And let me just add to this, and then we'll go to the last point. But let me just add to this. Jesus has met the highest expectations. Remember that second point in your outline is, the greater the goals, the deeper the disappointment. Jesus has met the highest expectations. Maybe your child has not turned out as you thought it was going to be. Maybe your child is not turning out the way you thought it was going to go. You're disappointed. Remember this. Jesus has met the highest expectations such that what your children need most is not to achieve some even good goal that we have created. What your children need most is what everyone needs most. is to be accepted before a holy God in the person of the Lord Jesus who has met the highest expectations. Jesus loves infinitely more than we do. He empathizes completely with us. And lastly, Jesus redeems our regrets.
all of that stuff that I talked about earlier that maybe you've done, maybe somebody else has done, maybe large, maybe small, but you regret. And it is eating at you and it is weighing on you. You regret that. Remember, Jesus redeems our regrets. How do I know that? You all know this famous verse, right? See it? We know that in a couple of things, God works for the good of those who love him. You all see it there? All things. And if you read further down, which we often don't do, but in that marvelous passage in Romans chapter 8, if you read further down, Paul, who wrote it, gives a list of the kinds of things that God works for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. And they're all dire things. They're all very difficult things. And this good and sovereign God redeems them. He works through them in ways that you cannot know. And so you give it to Jesus, believing that He can and does redeem our regrets. I had you look at 1 Peter 5, and verse 7, which simply says, Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. The King James of that says, Cast all your care upon Him, because He careth for you. All your worry, all your anxiety, all of the regret that's causing that worry and anxiety, you cast upon Him. And the word cast means to, to throw it on Him. Throw it away from yourself and on Him. Now, I know that some of you, ladies, are sitting there thinking, I've been carrying this around for all of these years, and pastor, I can't tell you how many times I've thrown it at him, how many times I've cast it at him. It hasn't worked. I still have it. What's gone wrong? In our final moments, I'd just like to address that. Why is it that some of you, when you think you're casting it all upon Jesus, you've still got it? Now, notice what I just said. <laughs> you think you're casting it all on Jesus, but you've still got it. Well, see, if you've still got it, guess what you didn't do with it? But practically, how does that happen? How is it that I think I'm giving it to Jesus, but in fact I'm holding it? Ladies, particularly on this Mother's Day, ladies... When you give it to Jesus, be very specific about what it is you are giving to Him. You see, you are not giving Jesus now permission to work it out the way you originally wanted it to be. That's not what you're doing. That's not what cast your anxiety on. So we're not saying, okay, it's not the way it's supposed to be, and I know I can't get it there. So, Lord, I'm giving it to you for you to work it out so that it goes where it was supposed to in the beginning. That's not casting your care upon him. And that's what so many of us do. We say, I messed it up. I can't fix it. I'm giving it to you to fix it. Fix it the way it should have been. When we cast our care upon him, hear this now. We are relinquishing control of the issue 
I trust you, Lord Jesus, now. And I give this thing fully to you to work out as you in your goodness and grace see fit. I trust you fully with this. It has not gone as I had planned, as I expected, as I wanted. I give it to you and I relinquish control. Failure to do that is why it's not working for some of us. And James says that in James chapter 4. There are times when we ask, but we don't receive because we're asking really in a way that tells God what the outcome should be. We cast it on Him. We give it to Him completely, trusting Him to work it out as He sees fit. I say as your take-home truth in your outline. Ladies, you suffer. And you suffer in ways that are more intense generally than men. And you do that because you care. But I remind you on this Mother's Day that Jesus heals because Jesus cares. Let's bow together. Our Lord, we thank you that you're the Lord of life and you're the Lord of living. You're not just the Lord of eternal life. You're not just the Lord of of heaven and the next life and the afterlife. You're the Lord of this life right now. And you care about our experience in the here and now. And you give us great and good gifts that we must avail ourselves of if we are going to have joy in the journey that is life in this fallen world. And so, Lord, we thank you for the instruction of your word and the promises of your word and the person of the Lord Jesus such that we can take these hurts, such that we can take these disappointments, such that we can take these regrets in whatever area of our lives that they have arisen. And especially on this day as mothers in the blessed task of rearing the next generation, but knowing intensely the hurt, the disappointment, the regret, I ask you, Lord, to help them to take those promises and appropriate them, to cast it all upon the Lord Jesus, who has shown us his immense, infinite care for us by shedding his blood on the cross for our sin. I pray that today will be the beginning of new freedom and new joy for many of these blessed, blessed women that you brought into our church family, such that they then can serve you with the joy, with the exuberance and the enthusiasm with which they want to serve you and with which you deserve. We pray that we'll bring glory to you as we do this, and that you'll be honored with our lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus we ask. Amen.